0: Hi, everybody, and welcome to Tapped Into Psychedelics. I'm your host, Adam Tapp, and today we are interviewing Jonathan Potter, who is the founder of Behold Retreats. How are you doing, Jonathan?
1: I'm doing pretty good. You know, I've had intense last couple of days, but I'm super pleased to uh, be connected and excited for our conversation.
0: Yeah, so, you know, in the, in the psychedelic ether, I came across Behold Retreats a while back, and you guys started in 2020, I believe, and you have sort of multiple locations around the world and multiple psychedelic compounds that you're using. Do you want to tell us about that a little bit?
1: Yeah, you know, I think, um, as we were just chatting about a few minutes ago, my motivation really arose by virtue of my own path, my own uh, exploration, my own uh, challenges. Uh, some might say mistakes, but rather learnings. And so I became quite motivated to help others, first my friends, my ex-colleagues, etc. cetera, um, to explore this work, which is very powerful, very transformative, and to avoid some of the potholes that I had found face first. Uh, and so that was kind of the genesis for Behold Retreats. And, uh, yeah, you know, we've, we've pulled together such an amazing and beautiful team, really been able to be of great service to uh, amazing people. Groups of people, and it uh, just continues to flourish and grow. And we've got, uh, yeah, as you mentioned, retreats in Costa Rica and Mexico and Portugal, still doing a little bit in the Netherlands, although it's a bit of a gray destination, which doesn't say, have the same je ne sais quoi uh, yeah, yeah, about it. So, uh, yeah. a lot of work in Costa Rica and Mexico these days, for sure.
0: And so, so now now the conversation has gone down this path, I'm kind of curious because, you know, when, when you would talk about this idea of, you know, you were. In a position in your life, and then all of a sudden you made this change and and i I can very much relate to the idea of you have this experience, you want to share it with your friends and your family members and your coworkers, and then all of a sudden, things start to expand, so kind of walk me through how that went down like you know what what were you doing like I believe you're working sort of a strategic consulting organization in Thailand Do you wanna give me some background on that because I find this interesting.
1: Yeah. So probably seven years, six, seven years ago now, I was actually, I was working in management consulting in Hong Kong and, uh, you know, big team, uh, different clients, probably 150 people or so on my team, all go, 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 you know, pretty competitive environment, always angling for the next client, the next deal, the next promotion, the next that, that, that. And um, I just remember hitting a point, um, you know, in Hong Kong was pretty intensive lifestyle, work hard, play hard. And after five years of that, I just hit a wall. And I recognized that pursuing that path was just not going to bring me any more joy. And I wasn't spiritual at the time. I didn't have an ayahuasca on, retreat on my mind in the least. Uh, I took a year out and I traveled through South America. And as part of that, my my best friend, um, I put his hand up and say, hey, I'm going to come join you in Peru. Let's go do some hiking in the mountains. And I'd love to do one of these ayahuasca retreats that I'd heard so much about. And uh, so that was, you know, that was my first experience. Um, It wasn't, I wasn't one of those overnight transformed. I had a very powerful, uh, humbling, um, but almost re-traumatizing experience in the first instance. I wasn't prepared adequately. I wasn't guided in my integration coming out of that experience. There wasn't anything that we might know as, integration available or offered to me or really spoken about. There was a lot less information about this uh, online six or seven years ago relative to today. And so uh, I came out of that experience, you know, having opened the door to spirituality, pretty confused um, and not really knowing exactly what it all meant. And so to be honest, I kind of regressed back to the way things were before, uh, but I knew there was something there, and so you know, with meditation practice and uh, over the year and a half of self exploration in the in the year that followed, I really was able to ground that experience and then further uh, explore beyond that. And um, and so that was kind of a, a more a gentler journey to um, more self discovery and learning a lot more about this work before having, you know, the the understanding and the confidence to move into it. Uh, more professionally, so it wasn't uh, it wasn't an overnight switch. It was over the course of about three three and a half years.
0: Yeah, no, I know. I find it it's interesting that there's this sense of magic pill that I'm just going to do ayahuasca, it's going to fix me, or I'm going to do something and I'm going to be sorted out. And like, and I can completely empathize with what you're saying. Like, you know, f- six, seven, ten years ago, there was nothing. I- integration wasn't even a thing, and. And even as, as far as a lot of like people's perception of ayahuasca in you know, in like the Aquitos area and stuff like that, historically speaking, the shaman would do it to alleviate someone else's issue as opposed to the participants doing it. And so there isn't really even a tradition of what integration might even be, historically speaking. So, you know, it's you, you do a bunch of psychedelics and all of a sudden you are expecting some sort of vindication validation and you end up, like you said, being re traumatized or or a little bit broken, and I sometimes wonder if that's just the winding path—two steps forward, three back, five steps forward—like it's it's a unique process.
1: It, it really is, and and you know, I think in particular those of us who have explored consciousness are able to look at it from so many different lenses. You know, I think on one on one level you know, this kind of large group ceremonies that are so common within the indigenous infrastructure or the indigenous traditions, I should say, doesn't necessarily reflect what we would hope for with respect to, you know, Westerners typically coming with generations of trauma that have been uh, unresolved. Um, Whereas, you know, indigenous populations come together more often in ceremony and clear, you know, maybe the last six or 12 months worth of drama. And so, you know, a big group container is um is is adequate for such such a group but for us coming down for a first experience you know being in a room of 20 or 50 other people oh boy um and then and then you know i think from a karmic perspective you know it's it's kind of easy to say that we're all attracted into the experiences that we need or that the medicine gives us what we need um but that can also be a bit of a bypass in the sense of you know facilitators or, or retreat providers kind of saying well that was That was the experience that you were meant to have because that's the experience that you did have, and the medicine always gives us what you need. so they're actually kind of removing themselves from their own responsibility for quality of experience uh, to some degree. and so I think the you know as ever with these things, there's not a hard truth um, but there there is different lenses through which we may explore the truth if that makes sense.
0: no, that's actually a totally reasonable statement. I just want to sort of make a comment about something you said previously about the idea of you know the indigenous cultures that they're doing this frequently this is a culture that they've been brought up with and they don't seem to carry the same baggage perhaps or, or at least they express it differently you know like i did a a sweat lodge at a native american homeless shelter in toronto and i was totally unprepared for how deeply profound it was like a bunch of men sitting in the dark sweating just being vulnerable you know like just putting their deepest deepest secrets out into the air and you're just sitting there and I'm like holy shit like you know the idea of european imperialism and british stiff upper lip has seemingly permeated our culture so deeply that i don't think people know how to express themselves and we and we do live in a toxic culture you know social media teaches us that we that we suck and we're and we're too fat we're too skinny we're too dumb we're too this we're too poor you know what i mean like we're constantly being inundated with these ideas that we're not good enough and, and not to suggest yeah. that other cultures don't have that but we seem to be hyper personification of it to some extent
1: well said you know there's um, a podcast called the emerald that you may have seen recently it's been doing the rounds and um, there's an episode within within that podcast which is the revolution will not be psychologized and it makes it makes the point that you're you're alluding to in much greater detail and I think there's there's great wisdom and beauty in that which is that in the Western paradigm, we have this natural proclivity to treat everything as a problem that requires a solution. And so now we're doing that with ourselves. You know, we found, oh, I, I, there's healing, there's intergenerational trauma. I'm a problem to be solved. And so this is a tool that can accelerate that problem solving process and just launch themselves into this um you know this this uh, process with perhaps a little bit of egoic energy even in the destruction uh, of of the ego of the self of solving and getting to some you know final nirvana uh destination at at rapid speed uh with the with the you know with the use of the most powerful substances on the planet it's quite a phenomenon
0: well it's also interesting too that we have this idea that we're a problem that needs to be solved as opposed to simply just an entity that needs to be accepted you know what i mean like it's and i I don't know if that's Western culture where we have to break everything down and rebuild in this weird colonial sense as opposed to, nah, man, you just need to let go and love yourself. And that actually yeah, is, yeah. is a much more daunting statement to be honest with you, but.
1: For sure. And I'm glad you said love there as well because I was going to say celebrate, right? Like yeah. self-acceptance, self-acceptance is like, it's such a sad goal. Like, oh, I, I accept myself, you know, I'm, I'm all right. But it's like, <laughs> yeah. celebrate yourself. Like you are, you are unique in this universe, there is not another atom tap to be had anywhere. And so there's this, you know, I believe that who and what we are is encoded directly within our DNA. And so what we're doing through this work, through this exploration of consciousness is activating our DNA so that we can be our full and complete expression of life. And each of us has some magical individual piece of the puzzle that is no one else. And so following that, uh, thread of joy and bliss to its natural conclusion is going to be the thing that gives you everything that you're looking for in life so long as you hold on to that thread and just keep that exploration
0: and it's funny too like I, I know that my perception has changed since i started doing psychedelics because again when i first started you know we were doing these insane high doses and all this nonsense and again there, there was no idea what integration was it was just i'm right. gonna go in there i'm gonna break up all this nonsense and we're <laughs> gonna see where where you end up and and it's funny that over time it it became less about this whole i'm a problem that needs to be solved and then slowly into what we were just discussing is that i'm just something that needs to be celebrated but that that was a long process that was like you know i've been doing this for over a decade now and i'm still i'll go in like shit. i did 5e mdmt last night and i still had this deep seated experience about you know sexual shame that was up in my jaw and all this shit. and you're just like does this, does this bag of shit ever end? You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) like I I understand that I'm a work in progress and I accept that, you know what I mean? But sometimes I just, it's interesting how, you know, Western ideas of take a pill and you're fixed, you know, take some liposuction, you're skinny, take the the Limitless pill, that movie Limitless, hyper-personifies our idea of what we think that should be is that you simply take a pill and then you become everything that you want and it's personified in social media. And so, you know, when you yeah. have these retreats, you know, it's, you, generally speaking, like the 5-MEO, you do, you do three separate 5-MEO ceremonies over the course of a week. Now, to me, in my experience, if you did three 5-MEO sessions over the course of a week, and I don't know if you do like three doses per session or you're doing now or how you arrange this, or even ayahuasca or mushrooms for that matter. Like, do people must be aware that you are just opening Pandora's box? Right. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's almost one of those things where it's this, the moment you open, like I I always imagine it like this, like it's a magician pulling a cloth out of his sleeve and you pull out one trauma and another one comes out attached to it. You're like, Oh, Oh wow. (laughs) Okay. That's exposed. And then you pull out another one, maybe three or four. And you're like, Holy man, there's everything just keeps coming out because everything is so integrally connected. And so, you know, when we talk about healing the planet, healing consciousness healing ourselves you know i think that all kind of reminiscently is the same thing you know how do you think that like these retreats is simply more of an awakening someone to the fact that they have the capacity to heal themselves because to me it it's almost just it's always the tip of the
1: iceberg yeah well said there's there's a lot there's a lot that you're alluding to in, in what you've shared there which i really respect and appreciate um yeah i think the first in, the first and foremost thing to recognize is that most people who are coming into this, you know, into such an experience or retreat, often they have a high degree of expectation, right? They've tried a bunch of other stuff and now they want to try this. And so there's, there's a lot of hope there. I think often what we find is that also people may not have many of the tools, right. For managing their emotions, managing their mind, um, developing and cultivating awareness and equanimity in their in their essence and in their being and so a lot of what we try to do differently is really try to give people those tools that can be very basic and simple tools that help them navigate you know this technology and this is incredible technology that we have it's the ultimate uh, as, as as you know you know this is this is this is magic. This is true magic. And so, how do you how do you begin to drive the bus? You know, how do you um, begin to separate the awareness from the thoughts? All of these, you know, basic concepts that come with meditation practice or any, you know, many spiritual lineages or um, practices, etc. But um, I think it's it's really what's important is that when people are having experiences of these natures and they're you know they're reaching peak states or they're reaching low states and releasing. Uh, releasing low energies, number one, that they continue to focus on the elevation of consciousness. You know, shadow work has become uh, quite the trend. And I believe that whatever you look for, you'll find more of it and infinitely so. So, you know, there's people who are a decade into looking for their shadows and they're finding infinitely more darkness. And... Okay, great. Uh, But wouldn't it be nicer to continue to look for the light and see infinitely more light and allow the shadows to come to the surface as we're trying to see more light rather than looking for everlastingly more darkness? Um, And the other piece that I think is is important is that, you know, people um, people continue a practice um, after, after retreat, you know, there's a great quote by Ram Das and I'll, and I'll, and I'll butcher it here, but it's to the effect that your practice should kind of capture you to some degree. But the, the, the goal is not to be captured. The goal is to set yourself free. Um, and I really like that because it speaks to, um, dedication and, and finding the tool or the tools that work for you. And making a commitment to yourself about using those tools for furthering self-exploration. And I think, yes, you know, uh, ayahuasca or 5-MeO-DMT, certainly some of the most powerful tools that we can use to accelerate our self-understanding, but not what I would describe as tools to be used on a daily basis uh, necessarily. Right. We want we need to have some sort of practice that is, shall we say, more natural, more innate um, that we can that we can ground ourselves with and, and progress with. Otherwise, we're just having peak experiences. And I think the magic of these experiences is that they show us, you know, states of being that can be reached without psychedelics, ideally. And that's that's the job to be done is to release negativity, limiting beliefs, all of those sorts of things that aren't true and and make those baby steps up to you know, ultimately, um, high states of, of existence, non-duality, etc., and, and to live from those places rather than to just, you know, uh, get a wink, uh, get a get a wink in a visit uh, every once in a while.
0: And so, you mentioned non-duality, and I think that's a, a fascinating statement. I've read quite a bit about it. Let, let's just have a brief conversation about that. So, it what what is the definition of non-duality for you?
1: Yeah, it's, uh, that's a big one, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, the way that I tend to describe it is, is I, I I don't know if I came up with this or if it was something I picked up on, but the, the analogy that I really like to use is a circus balloon. You know, those long balloons that you blow up and, yeah, uh, yeah. and then Make you, you like twist a dog, one bit. Like
0: a, yeah, <laughs> a dash on. Yeah,
1: and so... And so non duality is the moment that you untwist the balloon in the little segment the little segment of illusion of separate individual self is resolved back into the wholeness of reality and you you're home for the first time and you see that you you are this you are the whole and you're not this little individual, separate egoic self, you know, trying to trying to find their little way in the world and you know that feeling that that knowingness of the fact that we are infinite beings allows us to um, paradoxically allows us to place the appropriate value on this embodied infinite life i think for the first time and so it's filled with paradox the other the other description that i love is uh, when subject object disappears right so there is no more me and you it's just this It's the inversion of reality so that, you know, like Neo experiences at the end of the matrix, it's the moment that the inner verse and the outer verse become one. And, you know, people, the way I like to describe it is people have profound experiences on a psychedelic retreat because for the often for the first time, they are able to navigate their inner verse and they didn't even know that they really had one. They were so focused on the outerverse. And so there begins the balancing of the energies. And so with a non-dual experience, it's when the innerverse and the outerverse are merged up and we can see that we originate as a point of consciousness, not from within this body, but from a much more uh, deeper and uh, exciting place.
0: Yeah, it's like a complete decompartmentalization. You know what I mean? Like it's. Uh, although I will say that 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 uh, the circus balloon analogy was fantastic, because <laughs> I just pictured you like making a dash on and then waving it up and then you know taking it apart. And I'm like, yeah, no, fair enough. <laughs> well, and and it's interesting too. And like people often refer to that as like deprogramming to some extent. And the funny thing is that you have to be programmed to be deprogrammed, right? Like it's, I, I would imagine like you know I don't know if you have children, but like I have a daughter and stuff, and you know they they learn their identity they learn what they are they you know you have this idea of as a child you might not recognize boundaries between yourself and anything else other than your own specific needs and then as you age you're given a name you're given an identity you're given all these different thoughts you're programmed by culture you're programmed by society and then you have to like almost deconstruct that in a sense you know what i mean and and it takes yeah. time you, you know you got to be kind of ready for that you know, you got to be psychologically in a place. You know, like I remember doing all kinds of psychedelics in high school and stuff. And it, interestingly enough, it just never had the same effect that it does as an adult. You know, doing mm. it now is profound. It's cathartic. It's liberating. It's all these different things. Whereas doing it in high school, I'm just tripping out and seeing colors and stuff. You know what I mean? It's almost as if I hadn't been programmed completely yet to recognize that I'd been programmed.
1: Interesting. That's very interesting. You know, it's, it's funny that you raised programming because I was speaking with a friend who just had uh, their first 5-MeO experience. And um, one of the experiences that he had was the, the cartoons, tons and tons of cartoons. And that was the first thing that came to mind. He was trying to, he was like, well, why did I see a whole bunch of cartoons? And then the first thing that came to mind was deprogramming. I was like, did you watch a bunch of cartoons as a kid? He's like, yeah, I was watching a bunch of cartoons. And I was like, yes, yeah, so it was probably a lot of the, um, you know, the, the cycles that come, the stories that come with these things that were leaving your story. Um, and, uh, and I think that's, you know, that's some of the great power is to, to decompartmentalize, defrag this, this thing. And, um, but, but along with that, you know, there's, there's great risk. You know, I see that there's a lot of people who have been doing psychedelics for a long time that I would, you know, with love and without judgment, I would say that often people are confused on more dimensions. Um, and they've removed layers of, uh, their psychic anchors, which is, um, positive in one sense, but also dangerous in another, because, you know, our psychic anchors is what we use to navigate reality. So as you remove more and more layers that you thought were real, that turns out are not real, you know, a lot of people can find themselves struggling to find things to uh, make sense of reality itself. And so you know, uh buyer beware.
0: You know, that that's an interesting statement. And and I know that like for psychedelics, we sort of exist in this echo chamber. And I don't necessarily mean that in a bad way. You know, I mean like psychedelics haven't persecuted, you know, if you want to just say the recent war on drugs, you want to go back to Catholicism, you know, you can just keep staggering back to points in which psychedelics have been persecuted and so it's it seems that we sort of exist in this environment where we want to per- perpetuate the best possible face of this movement that we exist in and i completely understand that but there are a lot of pitfalls like you're you you know as, as you alluded to earlier you know this is the most powerful substances on this planet for interacting with consciousness and your own consciousness and there are some pitfalls to it there, are, there can be some dangers and, and you know and it's funny what you just sort of stated the idea of losing touch with reality you know, like when I first started doing it, my wife and I were doing high dose mushrooms, you know, like we would do like start off with five grams each and then 10 grams each and then 30 grams each. And then we ended up with like 42 grams of dried mushrooms each. And it was like, I remember after that experiments, I'm like, I don't know what is real. You know what I mean? Like it's, and and again too, right? Like it's that that separation from reality where you're like, I just completely melted my consciousness and became whatever mushrooms are in this alien, universal sense of like twisting and bending. Then you come back and you're like, No, I remember my way. We're sitting in the hot tub and she was like, That was the closest I ever came to losing my mind. I'm like, No, we lost it and we just happened to find it on the way out. Like it's. You know what I mean? And it's, yeah. there are, and like, and then that's an extreme scenario, but you know, even 5 meo like the 5 meo is fundamentally dissolving your ego, dissolving your, you know, becoming consciousness. And I've, you know, well, like you said, you, you do something and you want other to share with other people. And I, I've shared it with quite a few people and 99% of everyone has this beautiful, profound experience, but there's always some people that have difficulty reassembling themselves and you know missing some of these programmings or structure from their old life their old existence and you come back out of this experience and these things have been broken down you know reassembly can sometimes be a very difficult and sort of traumatic process and hence this whole notion of reintegration comes into play so i guess what i'm kind of alluding to right now is like you know you have three separate locations you know you guys utilize 5 DMT, psilocybin in ayahuasca so i there's a whole bunch of questions associated with it but let's just start somewhere and so is is there criteria for this like if someone calls you and they're like i want to have a psychedelic experience and they're not specifically asking for something you know is what criteria needs to be met do you guys sort of carte blanche decide what this person gets or someone calls and they is that like an intake process where you're like maybe you should just do mushrooms and we'll do five a next time or is it sort of just you want it come on over
1: yeah, we, we, we do spend a lot of time and energy with each of our prospective guests to see if there's an energetic fit there. Um, so we, we don't accept um, people who are in incredibly low states. We're just not the right container for that. Um, so people with substance abuse disorders or just, you know, suicidality or, you know, you, when there's desperation uh, in the... In the essence um, that that comes through over the course of the yeah. conversation. So we, we tend to spend an hour, um, you know, all of our clients provide an intake form, um, an initial intake form. We spend an hour, an hour and a half with them on the phone, really understand where they're at, what's motivating them to explore this, what else they've tried. Uh, all of those, you know, what's the home life look like? Are they in transition? Is it just constant upheaval? Is there desperation in the system? Uh, what are the traumas they're aware of? What, you know, how are their emotions manifesting? Um, what's their spiritual practice, if any? Uh, what's do they have a felt connection to source? Yes or no? Um, you know, all of these, all of these sorts of things. Understanding their intentions, uh, we see our our role very much as supporting them in the their own decision-making process. You know, we do get, it's, it's, it's an interesting time. I think I posted something about this recently because what I see is that as this movement inevitably gains more and more momentum, you have more people in the fold that are motivated by societal um, momentum rather than Trends. trends rather than the soul is calling. And so it's like, Hey, I've had three of my friends now say that ayahuasca is a great experience So here I am and it's like, whoa, look out. Um, This person's not necessarily ready for this experience. And so we get a lot of those types of people who I say, you know, go spend a month, read about medicines, you know, learn about this, understand really why you're exploring this and then let's have another chat. And so I'm always happy to give people some homework and send them on their way. You know, I think it's, it's interesting because you know this is obviously a rapidly emerging field and there's a lot of hope from an economic perspective a lot of people out there trying to you know do do a good trade with this with this business and if trade is the desire and i think we've already seen a couple of spectacular examples of that in the market recently if trade is the primary goal look out like there's going to be a lot of value destruction and a lot of people potentially destroyed in the process so you know the the, the people who do sales within our Within our team, they're not doing sales. They're guardians to the portal. Their job is to keep the people out that shouldn't be coming through that portal, and they take that very seriously. So, um, yeah, we do, we do a lot both in terms of um, you know screening at the front, uh, screening at the back. Once you know once someone's you know in in, then we take them through a much deeper uh, medical and psychological uh, profiling, and then um, and then ultimately the shaman uh, or the healer on location has the ultimate say. And, uh, you know, they, these are people who are the most energetically sensitive people on the planet. This is, you know, my motivation is to elevate the roles of good healers and to make sure that they are energetically valued. They're not overworked. And so they're coming in with the, with the ener- with their own energies aligned such that they are able to open portals to the highest dimension possible and to bring as many people as possible through to a highest dimension possible within one retreat. And so, you know, for me, I see the mission is being of service to the healers, not only to the guests, it's, you know, it's it's really getting the energies right in relation to that. And second to that, um, really making sure that, um, that it's a high quality experience. I see there's great potential for what I would describe as more progress with less medicine when people are really dedicated to the mental and emotional work. Um, then I think, you know, um, I, I certainly see that I was throwing myself at the work pretty hard with a lot of medicine over quite a number of years, and I think that if I had, I've got a much more nuanced view on that now. I don't do medicine anymore, and I haven't done so for the past six months or so, and I don't really plan to do uh, much more in the in the short to medium term, shall we say? But I really see that there's a lot of potential to, um, yeah, help people find the ways to continue the work with less medicine, shall we say?
0: Well, and I kind of agree with that too. You know, like it, it almost becomes a crutch after a while yeah you know what i mean where it's it's you you get in the illusion of i need to constantly be striving forward and constantly letting go and, and it yeah it, it it's interesting how that can manifest itself so out of curiosity so you have these three facilities portugal mexico and costa rica now does each one dedicate itself to a specific substance or are they sort of multifaceted
1: yeah, so in um, in Portugal we mostly work with five uh, meo DMT, but we do the occasional ayahuasca retreat as well. In Costa Rica we mostly work with ayahuasca, but we do the occasional psilocybin. Uh, and then in Mexico we're going to actually be working with all three medicines. Um, so yeah, we've got you know it's such such beautiful locations, so we tend to get a variety of. Um, of demand into each of those locations. Often we're getting a lot more repeat guests as well, who, you know, they had a really amazing experience with us in Costa Rica. So they want to go see what we do and how we do things in Mexico. Um, And so, yeah, you know, obviously uh, it's a function of the facilitator and healer as well. Um, Generally speaking, uh, you won't find very many facilitators and healers who want to work with multiple medicines. Generally they specialize in, you know, one, one of the three.
0: Yeah, like something resonates more specifically with you and you sort of stick with it. Now, out of curiosity, like I've heard you, you know, one of your posts previously was talking about the idea of like, you're not a fan of synthetics. So I'm assuming with the 5-MeO-DMT, you're actually using like Bufo secretion as opposed to synthetic 5-MeO-DMT?
1: We do both. Uh, And I actually, you know, I'm I'm actually, I think I put in that post that I actually believe in synthetics. I think that... What makes us unique as beings is that we are able to qualify energy. And what I mean by that is that we can take things and uh, transmute them for the better, or we can take energy and transmute it for, you know, maybe not such beautiful things as we can clearly see around the world, uh, making evidence, you know, making itself evident, shall we say. And so and so I believe that actually it is going to be possible for us to create synthetic medicines that are, in fact, perhaps even more powerful. Um, in many respects, than, um, than some of the natural medicines. Now, that being said, I think what the post that you're probably alluding to speaks to w- what I would encourage people to understand, which is that the intention that exists behind a medicine, regardless of whether it's natural or synthetic, is of great importance. And so uh, the reason I'm, I'm hot on that is because I believe there's more shenanigans on the whole Uh, being played within the synthetic realm uh, by virtue of the players who exist in precursor chemicals up the value chain. And people aren't spending enough time and energy thinking about that. People understand that, you know um, the the facilitator and the healer are important and, you know, good facilitators and healers are not at all interested in, um, you know, taking some medicine from an unknown source. They're very sensitive to this and there's a reason for that. And, don't I don't think there's enough conversation in the ecosystem or in the general awareness uh, shall we say in the more traditional media about the significance of these issues and how they relate to um, the sovereignty of the soul and and the and the direction that one travels within consciousness
0: well and it's going back to that too. it's it's interesting the the sort of the entourage effect that occurs with naturally found plant medicines you know I mean like you can do ayahuasca and have this very interesting, unique experience in these Amazonian spirits and very, very significant. And yeah, the MAM inhibitor is playing a huge role in that, but then synthetic DMT is an entirely different experience as well. To some extent, extracted NNDMT from like hostilis or something like that is also a different experience. And then even synthetic psilocybin versus plant-based psilocybin has a sort of a different ambiance to it as well. And I'm sure you can attest to the fact that like 5-MeO-DMT... In from the bufo is has bufftonin, like there's probably like several hundred other alkaloids, majority of them are unknown to man. And that experience is very different than synthetic. You know, synthetic is it almost just seems like you're just opening a space in your consciousness, devoid of anything. Whereas, yes, you know, that- these things coming from, you know, arguably millions of years of evolution seem to have a very specific ambiance about them. And it's sort of unique when you talk about that, that the evolutionary path has given these things ambience. And then with synthetics, the mechanism in which they're synthesized, and you say precursor chemicals, has an influencing effect as well. And I, I assume that's what you're saying, or at least that's what I'm drawing from it.
1: Yeah, and I think and I think they can be used for nefarious purposes as well. And there's, I think there's, like I said, some shenanigans that are being played that um, take hold on higher dimensions. And also, as I, as I shared before, can influence or even direct travel. And so what I mean by that is to say that, um, I think, you know, there's, these are actually, I think the example that you just gave is an interesting one. So let's use synthetic five MEO DMT. Um, you and I have, I think sounds like a a similar understanding there, which is with synthetic, I'd say it's more, um, neurological perhaps in, in the experience and perhaps with, um, with natural, I would say it's on average, a more embodied, uh, experience. And I think it's very possible to go through consciousness um, and what I would describe as up on the left um, to very high places that feel transcendent and spiritual, but at a fundamental level are actually still disconnected from spirit. And so I think, you know, ultimately consciousness leads us consciousness and embodiment have, I think, a very interesting relationship. And, and that's a, um, a, a symbiosis to be explored by, by each of us, and I think is very specific to, to our own uniqueness. But I do see and feel that there are people out there who have done a ton of synthetic 5-MeO DMT who are still not in their heart and still don't have access to their heart. So they're, they're not embodying this very deep understanding that they've got. And um and so I think there's there's, you know, there's different portals obviously into reality. And I think, you know, one of the fundamental goals is to be able to open up the heart and to and to live through the heart, um, to, to a large degree.
0: No, that's interesting. And also I think it should come into play too, sustainability. You know, you know, c <laughs> toads, there's a finite amount of them. You know, and when people go and collect them, they put them all in baskets, they're spreading disease, they're you know, you're you're just dumping them somewhere, like there there's not sustainability. And and more specifically with like peyote. You know what I mean? As as we move forward in this psychedelic revolution, if you wanna call it that, you know, more and more people are gonna be wanting to experimenting with this. And, you know, yeah. you have, you know, entire cultures in in the States that are dependent on peyote as a specific substance for their culture, for their religion, you know, and I think synthetics are a, a fairly easy way around that, but it's interesting. I've never really thought about that pitfall with psychedelics as the, how it's being synthesized. You, here's,
1: here's, here's another way. There's, two, there's a couple of things. Did you see my post on peyote? Cause I went against the grain on that one. I attracted a lot of attention um, and, and I'm happy to come back to that one in a minute. But the, one of the ways in which I've connected with people, in relation to this dynamic with synthetics. And like I said, I I actually believe in synthetics. I think they are going to be an incredible tool for us. Um, They already are, and they will continue to be. One of the things that I have said to others is that, look, 50, 60 years ago when psychedelics were made illegal, it's not that they weren't understood and that they were made illegal. It's that they were understood yeah,
0: it's a very accurate and statement. they were
1: made yeah. illegal. So, so that's that's a, there's a nuance there, which is important. Which is, these things represent something that's very fundamentally important, and this uh, making these illegal has clearly retarded our our slowed down our our evolution. Um, and so, it's not that these games are stopping with the legalization of psychedelics. These games have moved into different dimensions and there's new ways in which this game is being played. And so for me, this is all about ser- spiritual sovereignty and making sure that um, the, the spirit, you know, mind, body, heart, and spirit are connected up to the highest power directly, no intermediaries. And so when we're, t- we're taking medicines that we don't know where it's come from, that allows uh, the influence of other energies to come between oneself and, and the highest power. And so spiritual sovereignty, is going to become a very hot topic, I think, in the years ahead
0: well and it's funny that you say that too because i've you know i've been to the conferences and all these different things, and people have this idea like oh that's it's done where you know psychedelics are here, and i'm like no like this is this is just the beginning like <laughs> you know just because Oregon passed some state legislation like and, and even now there's so many sort of things associated with that with dragging heels and nonsense and gouging and different things. And it's like this. This is going to have to be a carefully guided movement for a very long, long, long time. And and even outside the you know this sort of rise and advent of cults and weird messiahs and religious leaders who are going to be springing up from the advents of psychedelics. Some dude going and doing ayahuasca, and now he's the reincarnation of Jesus or something. Like you know this that that is going to be a thing, and it kind of already yeah. is. I'm, and
1: I'm glad. I'm glad you. You know, I'm glad you raised that because through history, we can see this, right? We can see that whether we talk about the Egyptians or the Mayans or the Aztecs, what I think has taken place time and time again is that a small group or an individual or even a small group has gained disproportionate spiritual power, and that's become twisted. Um, And so there's, there's, um, you know, with these uh spiritual movements with an apex you know i'm i have a degree of of caution in relation to those because i think those can become energetic vortexes that fulfill that that amplify their own power uh towards the that apex and as someone goes up and up and up and up and all of a sudden, they're, they're not only building their own power, but because of this movement behind them that's growing, they're actually drawing some of that energy and power from that collective. And they're using that to even further amplify their power. And that becomes a bit of a self-fulfilling cycle. I think this is what's happened over time. Um, And I think we got to watch out. And, you know, I think we're just at that. It's interesting because we're just at that juncture in relation to AI. Um, But I think that same dynamic exists on the organic side. Um, And, you know, if you look at OSHO, even in more recent times, there's many other examples in more recent history as well, where, you know there was this pure, amazing concept and spiritual movement that was transcending. You know the duality of uh, of political, what have you, and blah blah blah. And then it reached a certain point. It got really twisted. It got dark, and it wasn't what we were looking for on a collective level. So uh, I'm with you. I think we got it. We're gonna we gotta be careful of ourselves because we're a funny bunch.
0: Well, and and you're absolutely right. Like the, the pitfalls of power and consciousness and knowledge are. Are both positive and negative you know what i mean like it's everything's a double-edged sword right you know every, every, everything's a tool and people like to personify or anthropomorphize things and this is this is bad this is good i'm like no like a bread knife can cut bread or it can cut someone's head off it's 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 a tool it's the intention behind it and i think we're going to be experiencing a lot of that over the course of the next decade and decades yeah as we move forward and like and part of me hopes that this psychedelic movement can can elevate consciousness. It can it can allow us to live in somewhat harmony with ourselves and perhaps not be so destructive. But at the same time, there's there's another side of that coin. <laughs> there always
1: is. I I agree with you hundred percent. Everything that like everything that we have a natural affinity to see the good, we're we're missing it. We're missing something for sure. And and equally, when something's like wholly bad and like oh, this is so horrible and miserable. You're missing you're missing the the silver lining, you know, Uh, it's all in the yin and yang. It really is. And so I think, you know, I think it's um, it's an exciting time. And I think with psychedelics in particular, you know, if you look back through history, if you take, say, smoking, you know, it was deemed to be healthy up until it wasn't. And then now with vaping, now all of a sudden the studies are starting to come out. You know, the longitudinal studies. It's like, oh man, this is not. Well, if well, anyone thought actually
0: a- thought vaping was a healthy alternative to smoking, was diluting themselves like, it, okay, it might be slightly better than inhaling combusted plant yeah. material laced with chemicals, but oh, come on,
1: you know. <laughs> yeah, and I think with I think with psychedelics, I think there's going to be some a bit of a reckoning as well. You know, I think um, in my understanding it was interesting. I put something out there to try to to see whether there was others that were interested in in this rabbit hole. But I think there is, um, so we say some energetic accumulations that take place in the astral body uh, when we take a lot of psychedelics. And I think, um, you know, it's easy to get caught up in a, in a cycle of like, this is holy good, this is holy good. And actually, I think there's stuff that accumulates in our field or, or that we open ourselves up to in many ways, or um, even blowing holes in our aura. I think there's many things that can happen that uh, that we just may not have the sufficient collective understanding or the language um, to be able to, to fully understand and express. And I think there'll be a lot of... Um, I think it will be a lot coming in the years ahead to further our understanding. You know, I think the science as a whole is still pretty disappointing. It really doesn't really recognize a lot of the spiritual realities. We don't even
0: understand consciousness. Like we literally have no idea what consciousness is. And any any neuroscientist worth his weight in anything and salt will tell you, but like, well, we we don't know. We have theories, we have this, you know, there's quantum fluctuations and, you know, everyone has an idea, but at the end of the day, no one really knows, you know, whether whether it permeates through the zero point field and the space between everything. Consciousness simply just exists all around us and we just filter it out or whatever is more of a spiritual take on that. But I, I am very curious to see how Western medicine Amalgamates with the deep seated spirituality of psychedelics, and and to me, the moment a psychiatrist, a psychologist, or any one of these people do a psychedelic, they understand. But it's it's getting that shift and that movement and what that means, and how we can integrate that into understanding consciousness and and understanding our reality a little bit more. And it, it's it's unique seeing it happen. You know what I mean? Like. And I, I'm really curious to see where that goes. And I, I guess you know I'm, I'm sort of jumping back a little bit here, but you, you know you were talking about the idea of our future quite possibly will be with synthetics. And I actually recently interviewed someone, uh, and and their company, April Nineteenth Discovery, is fundamentally based on using AI to machine learn and create brand new chemical compounds. And now, mind you, they're targeting molecules for their effectiveness and efficiency in you know, alleviating dementia and various neurodegenerative conditions, which is fantastic. However, you really could use AI to create these compounds that somehow surpass 5-MeO-DMT, somehow surpass this, and create these quote-unquote super-powerful psychedelic compounds. And it's it'd be sort of interesting to see how that goes down. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I think the way in which we create the you know first i think it's worth acknowledging the 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 um the human desire to intensify
0: i know right there there's <laughs> it doesn't seem to be any like there's no ceiling to to our to our True. desires to like pursue and create and expand and and that's probably so why we're like, here and you know our we'reposable yeah. thumbs and a desire to create and destroy seem to have got us pretty far
1: here we are two people who've you know clearly done their done their work with a 5 meo dmt wow you know the most powerful and profound experience a human being can have and here we are talking about now but can we just two
0: percent more (laughs) yeah can we just jack that up some
1: (laughs) it's really it's a beautiful thing and so i i actually i think that the way in which we will ultimately develop more and more medicine, the most powerful medicine is through the combination of the, shall we say, computational capabilities that you've just alluded to, combined with energetic capacities of those people who are, uh, operating at the highest vibration.
0: Yeah.
1: And, uh, and then in addition to that, uh, the power law. So I don't know how deep down the rabbit hole you are with hermetics, but you know, power law states that when we have two people meditating, it's four times as powerful, three yeah. people, nine times as powerful, four times, 16, et cetera, et cetera. And so when we talk about bringing, you know, when we talk about making medicine, I think the future of that will be um, really about taking the best of human understanding, uh, whether that be left brain or right brain, and um and bringing down very powerful energies in a group context in order to create something that has never been created before. I've never shared something along these lines in a podcast. So, you know, I'm sure I've lost uh lost probably a portion of the audience in the in the process. I like
0: what you're saying though. Like I I'm 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 with you on that. It's sort of an interesting concept because you know, I I would say that 5MEO takes you to the limit of human consciousness and understanding because like, I don't know if you've had an infinity experience where that even matters to you, but it's, you know, you, that is a ceiling. And, and uh, well, I know this is a stupid statement. There's no such thing as a ceiling, but it's, you know, you become infinite and they're like, well, is there more than that? Well, if you had two people having an infinity experience, then yes, you would, there would be more. <laughs> you know, if you had four people, if you had six people, like it's, it's an interesting, uh, very interesting concept. I think that's actually pretty fantastic.
1: So- Yeah, and you know- with- the thing that comes to mind is, I don't know, at some point you go so far up into creation that you pop out the other side and it all goes dark.
0: Yeah. Yeah, really. You know, it's it's <laughs> funny that you mentioned that. And I, I don't talk about this very much either, is that I, I had this weird experience on 5MEO DMT like six, seven years ago or something. And it was kind of like this idea of if the universe becomes aware of its own existence, does it need to exist? And it was this weird moment where I'm like, and it was just this mind bending thing about the true notion of all existence. And you're like, Ooh, fuck. <laughs> like, is that, and you know, you work through it or whatever else, but it's, you know, these mind bending questions and the question is completely embodied in whatever experience you have. And you're like, Oh wow. That's a, is that a roadblock or is that just <laughs> my hang up? I don't know. It's interesting.
1: And then, and then you got to make dinner for your daughter, right? Yeah. What a,
0: it's sitting there just kind of <laughs> making weird facial expressions. You're like, oh, do I exist?
1: Yeah,
0: seriously, it starts talking back to you. Yeah. So I just want to talk a little bit more about behold, because I, I I'll be honest with you, I'm really enjoying this conversation. But you know, from from some consensus, do you you I, I would just cl- categorize you guys as sort of luxury psychedelic retreats. Is that a reasonable statement? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I just, and this isn't a statement towards you or anything, but, you know, I, I I see the current practice that's moving forward to be limiting socioeconomically to a lot of people. And I, I don't know how that's going to unfold. Like, you know, I had hopes in Oregon. That this would be opened up and single moms on, you know, food stamps would be able to go and alleviate some trauma, alleviate some stress, and it really seems like it's not moving in that direction. You know, I, I re- recently read an article and uh, a woman who was a therapist, and she was trying to go get her license, <clears throat> and all of a sudden it's like ten grand for some nonsense course, and, and that was going to be another X amount of money and this amount of money, and then, and, and and just, and her concern was that you know, I wanted to provide something that was very cost effective for people. And now it's price just keeps going up and she's not even halfway through it. And I, you know, and that's kind of one of those things. And I I sometimes wonder like, you know, at the end of the day, and let's be realistic, I'm a middle-class heterosexual white male. I have no complaints with anything, but it does seem like when these new things happen and it has a tendency to be rich white people who get to experience it first. And then it sort of trickles down, down to the masses, and. I kind of hoped it was going to be different with psychedelics, but I I don't think it's going to be, you know what I mean? Like I'm hoping there's going to be some sort of shift in which, you know, someone who's grinding away 12 hours a day for minimum wage can barely afford their payments. And you know, the quote unquote working stiff can have access to all these things. And I, and, and maybe they can, it might be underground. It might be a lack of integration, but at the same time, I completely recognize that if you're going to do something properly, it costs money. That's just the existence that we have. You know, how, how do you see this rolling out? Like, you know, cause it kind of, it's almost like that sort of Anne Rand trickle down effect bullshit. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, and maybe, maybe that's, maybe that's realistic. Maybe it's not, I don't know.
1: Yeah. I think it's, um, you know, there's a lot to, there's a lot to unpick in relation to this subject. And I think there are as many perspectives plus a few extra as there are people Uh, In this in this ecosystem, and I think one of the things that I will use the word disappoints me to some degree is the amount of judgment that exists in this ecosystem with respect to what people believe the right answer to be. Yeah, right. Um, and, And there's so much need for healing and for growth and for understanding and for this work that there is infinite. Opportunity for innovation, and 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 for this work to be done in in the ways that people see fit. Now, for me, you know what we do and how we do it is a reflection of obviously myself and and my own my own journey. I see and feel and I think this was the beginning of this was characterized in the wisdom of trauma by by Gabor Mate. I don't know if you've seen that one, yeah. Um, yeah. but. I believe that the world is currently led by the most traumatized people. And the reason that is the case is that I had huge childhood trauma at age four, and I was the most hyper-competitive go-getter through my corporate career because of that childhood trauma. I was so disconnected from my internal validation system that the only source that I had available to me for validation was external. So I was always going to work harder. I was always going to get the deal. I was always going to get the promotion because I was so emotionally disconnected from myself that I just out hustle other people. Now, if you look at a Elon Musk or if you look at a, um, you know any of these other you know hyper, uh, should we say hyper reactive, you know, hyper reactive entrepreneurs that don't necessarily have their emotional state of being in, in in check, I think we can see the same, the same dynamics playing out. And so, you know, as and when these people are ready for this work uh, and, you know, we've had some, we're, we're fortunate that we've attracted some very high profile guests, people who have, you know, in the order of tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars to their names. And these people are, are accumulating energy. They're, they're so full of fear, they can never have enough. And so when you free someone of the fears and they've got tens of millions of dollars or hundreds of millions of dollars to their name, what they tend to do with that money tends to be really beautiful. Um, And so we've we've supported and guided a number of people of that description already and continue to do so. We've got some very high profile guests coming uh, over the next couple of months, and I'm very excited about that. So um, the way that I see this is that we're trying to release stuck energy Um, and the wealthiest people by virtue of their the most successful people by virtue of their trauma and their fear are guarding all this stuff. You know, when we when we lived in tribes, it would be insane for me to, you know, capture to kill an animal and to try and keep a whole bunch of the meat to myself. Like this is one organism. It doesn't make sense for me to be selfish in my behavior. And so, you know, we've obviously moved into this hyper individualized mode of reality, but there's no future. There's no positive future where Jonathan Potter is, you know, at the bottom of the barrel and needs to steal in order to eat dinner. And Adam Tapp is like living up in this penthouse, you know, into perpetuity it just doesn't that. There's no peaceful future that exists in that way. We need to learn to harmonize into one single tribe and to really look after one another. Which is not to say that you know, to, you know, oh, you're a communist. Like, no, that's not what I'm, I'm. But we do need to honor each other. And so I think, um, you know, this is this is a segment of of um, of the work that I think we can do well. And we get some really intense cases by virtue of focusing on some of the most traumatized people. But you know, we we. We've put a lot of time and energy into into helping them. So I say all of that to say that I think there's infinite room for innovation, and we were going. We're, we're already seeing a lot of kind of community-based movements. Um, you know, I think, uh, uh, or even uh, church-based movements that include uh, medicines. And so I think there's there's bottom up and top down and everything in between. It's all needed and it's all loved.
0: No man, that, that was actually a, a oh, great. It. Great explanation. And it, it is funny when, when you talk about, you know, these CEOs and to be that successful, you have to be a little bit of a sociopath. You know what I mean? Like you, and, and when I say sociopath, not in the truest sense, but you have to like very much create these walls to exist in these high stress environments where you have to, you know, potentially act immorally or unethically to for the success of your company, which is in an extent, you know, tribalism. And it is. It- yeah. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, you know,
1: corporations, corporations in their present form, they're psychopathic by definition. They solve for a single variable. Their fiduciary duty is total shareholder return. So they're solving for a single variable. Ultimately, that's psychopathic. You know, any human being that's solving for a single variable has lost the plot on a fundamental basis. And so this is so normalized that we can't even see it for what it is. And um, so, yeah, so there's a lot to unpick and unwind. And I think in particular, you know, I think I like what you said, which is, you know, these are sociopathic people to a large degree. I think that's I think that's right. And, you know, in my wanderings um, in the corporate world, I certainly got, you know, not to say I haven't uh, participated in some darkness myself. I have for sure. Um, But I got to see I got to see other levels. I got to see, you know, once you get bored with exercising the power that you do have, then you find new ways to exercise your power. You go, Whoa, these are portals into further and further darkness. And uh there's a lot of people in these in the business world that are following these portals into their natural conclusion and oh boy, um, you don't want to be there. Well
0: and and it's leading to the Uh systematic destruction of our planets, you know what I mean? Like it's and, and again too, like don't get me wrong, you know that still is an extension of the natural world. Like any any species on this planet strives to increase its numbers because that's genetic programming. And if there's a drought, then they starve and they, they die. You know, there there's these feedback systems that prevent numbering, like lemons running off a cliff. You know what I mean? Like there are feedback systems. We just have broken free from these things. so We don't have them anymore we we've seemed to consciously move past these feedback systems that that prevent this limiting factor and so by us moving around and just destroying the planet unfortunately is kind of an extension of the natural world without a feedback system you know what i mean like is there much of a difference between what we're doing right now and a squirrel hoarding nuts for the winter time
1: you know like and again yes
0: there is a difference but fundamentally you know what i mean are we not just this weird Byproduct of a natural system that we've somehow psychologically evolved up and not necessarily in a good way, you know what I mean like it's almost as if like yeah. we're we're teenagers in this this new state and we're trying to figure out how to exist in harmony, but you know our natural programming just keeps kicking in, and I think what you're talking about these companies are sort of a natural complete personification of that,
1: yeah, yeah, well said well said but I also think that you know how to you know, it's either people believe that there is divine order or there isn't. And and I don't think time exists in that consideration. It's either everything's okay and everything's okay now. And it's a bit paradoxical again because things, things are in divine order today and they can be better. So things are perfect, but they can be better, which is obviously on a rational level, just a contradiction in terms. But I truly believe that that's the case. I don't think that there's like, that the, you and I, you know, work our butts off you know, trying to complete our soul's mission. And then, you know, like everyone's like, then everything's going to be just okay. It's like, no, we're just going to open up, you know, yeah. another dimension yeah. and the yin and yang is going to repeat itself. And there's going to be confusion and chaos and, <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and learnings yeah. and lessons. And, and it's, and it's going to be learnings and lessons that we can't even imagine because we're just not involved enough to, to have a, a, even an inkling of an inkling of, of what those learnings might look like. So it's, you know, the dance continues.
0: You know, it's funny when you talk about like the notion of divine order, and I think that people have this idea that, you know, the divine order somehow is always good. It's it's always these blessings and stuff. And I'm like, well, if you look at nature, you know, you're all, you're on the Serengeti plains, and a hyena is literally ripping apart a pregnant gazelle, and you're like, that hyena isn't evil. You know what I mean? This is this just is it's. You know, divine order is simply accepting the fact that things just simply are. And only within that can we try and make improvement when we accept that, which is sort of interesting, is, you know, just stop swimming against the current and just float in the river.
1: Like... hundred percent, hundred percent. And, you know, I think one of the most painful, one of the most painful places to be is to drive a wedge between oneself and reality. And, like, if you think that things should be different than they are, wow, that's a really shitty place to be. You know, I think most of us walk around on this planet believing that things will be okay when. It's just a lie. It's just not true. Um, and so you get to the end of this beautiful life and you're still thinking things will, oh, wait, I'm at the end of this. <laughs> and it's like, right. wow, I've just yeah, lived man. an entire lifetime thinking waiting that things for will tomorrow. be okay when.
0: Yeah, entire lifetime waiting for tomorrow. And you're like, shit, man, yeah. things are okay now.
1: And things are okay now. And uh, it, and, it, and that's the inversion. It's the inversion in consciousness because, you know, I think most of us left school with the impression that we weren't good enough in some way, shape or form. Like there's just dynamics, right? It's just, you know, it's some way, some way, somehow that thought logged, whether it was from childhood trauma with the parents or bullying at school or whatever it was. And so recognizing and understanding that we are enough as we are, you know, self-acceptance as you mentioned before, and we can be better but things are okay now and they can be better. And so that's an inversion in consciousness that is very difficult to achieve. And the mind, the mind is just the ultimate trickster. It just is. It's so attuned to just latching onto something and believing that that something should be different than the way it is. And so that's, that's the work to be done. As I see it is just becoming more and more acutely aware of the, um, the mania of the mind and its desire to latch onto something and wish that it'd be different than it is.
0: Well, yeah. Wishing something is different than it is. You know what I mean? That's like the biggest pitfall of human consciousness, it seems. Or, you know what I mean? It's like, I want something to be different and I'm going to hold on until it is. And you're like, well, that's a,
1: that's sort of a
0: ending up in the wrong side of the road. However, totally, totally.
1: and then you go down the reality creation rabbit holes with people and you know some people are very excited about that and, and following it. it's it's a bit you know in my mind some of it is a bit egoic you know i want to i want to manifest a billion dollars like great now you got to be careful what you wish for right you you manif- let's just say you manifest a billion dollars then what then you're then you're just the same as who you were yeah. before, you know or you're going to yeah. change to to get a billion dollars obviously but like then what so you know for me i i really tried to focus on maintaining gratitude for being on the best timeline and just knowing that the right things are going to be magnetized into my experience and it's a co-creative process it's not that i just sit in my bedroom and meditate all day you know i got to get out in the world and make things move um, but the, the right things are coming in order to support the evolution individually and so that i can continue to be of service out in the outer world
0: yeah man that's well said so we're, we're sort of winding down here is there is there anything that you want to plug right now like obviously behold retreats how do people get a hold of you you know, is there obviously your web page, and you know, we'll, we'll obviously include that in uh, in the show notes and everything. But is there anything that you want to say or plug or make statement to?
1: Hey, give us like your you know, I always, second elevator pitch for the retreat, because uh, there's quite a number of retreats out there. Why why is yours different, and what what is the value that you provide to people that come? Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Thanks, Jason. Um, he you know, contributes
0: think, here and there. He's, yeah, yeah. He's always present.
1: You know, I think so. the first thing I'd love to share actually is that um, I like to give people a tip, which is you, if you want to choose an experience of this nature, look at the eyes of the facilitator and the healer. If you don't see a certain joy for life and a certain innocence or even a certain childishness um, in in the eyes, it's probably not what you're looking for. And there's a lot of people that are carrying a lot of heavy energy doing this work. So look for the eyes because it's all there first and foremost. And that's, you know, whether you're working with us or working with someone else, look for the eyes. Now, what we do differently is, as I mentioned before, we really do our best to find the best facilitators and healers and to really honor them. There's unfortunately, there's a lot of people out there that are taking advantage of facilitators and healers and just kind of wheeling through them and, and overworking them that and they, um, They bring in a whole bunch of 25-year-old bright-eyed volunteers that are not being paid. And they're (laughs) just... There for the medicine. And that's really not the vibe. Um, So we we pay all of our people well. We honor them energetically um, and they come in full power and they're able to open a portal to a very high dimension by virtue of the fact that they're well rested and they're in the right space. We also do much smaller groups. Um, You know, typical group size for us is like six to eight, sometimes as many as 10 people. Uh, And that's a very intimate container. You know, I say sometimes that like if you're bumping into new people at the salad bar that you haven't met before you know, that's probably not what you're looking for on a, on a retreat of this nature. Like, you know, a retreat, a retreat with 25 or 50 people, to me, that's not a retreat. That's like a conference. Um, And, and definitely when it comes to a psychedelic retreat, it's a factory at that point. Yeah.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. And, and so, um, you know, our economics are a little bit different on a, on a basic level because we, we pay our people. Well, we we choose experts and we do small groups and we do really high quality food and accommodation and all that jazz picks up pickups at the airport and all of that. So, you know, as much as I would love to give it all away for free, um, it's just it's just not a, a not a reality for something that's being done to yeah. the, and,
0: at a high level. And you can't people. There's an association of cost with product that we've all been ingrained into our minds. You know what I mean? Like it's funny that a friend of mine he was facilitating ayahuasca. And he was giving it away for free. And like, he wasn't claiming to be a shaman or anything, but he came back from Brazil and he, the medicine told him to share it or whatever. And he was trying to give it away for free and people wouldn't show up. You know, everyone like 10 people would book and then he'd, he'd rent this space. And then like one person would show up or something. And you're like, you know, and he actually had to start charging a certain amount of money so that people would respect the investment and actually show up because of our subconscious association with value, which is sort of a unique thing,
1: but, yeah. It's, I'm glad. I'm glad you raised that because you, you're right. I, I said that in a flippant sense, but it's so true. And actually, I was I was um, chatting with someone on a, on a forum recently, and we're talking specifically about alcohol abuse disorder, and how psilocybin. There were you know there was some clinical trial, some indication around alcohol abuse disorder, saying like, oh, this is clearly you know once it's reimbursable, this is going to be such a great solution for people who are you know, suffering from alcohol abuse disorder. I was like, actually not the case. Like the one of the primary indications of whether or not um, people are actually successful is their their willingness to pay. And because if there's pain associated with the payment, whether it's them paying for it or their family member paying for it, it really indicates a high degree of commitment to the outcome. Yeah. So the worst thing would be actually for this to be covered a hundred percent by insurance, which is again, it's gonna. This whole thing is gonna really challenge all, oh, our, and people uh, are gonna 100%. go mad over that statement. But you're right.
0: Like subconsciously, people there has to be a transaction, and money represents the entirety of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Like money is this thing now. This. You know this shiny shiny coin that's that represents everything and it's this transaction i'm giving something for something and in the absence of that it doesn't seem to have the same effect
1: 100 percent. it's yeah. all it's all just energy you know being exchanged in, yeah. in various forms yeah. and and it it has to be honored it really does and you know i think for me my own personal experience the more that i i you know as I was doing more work, I continued to pay our healers very, very well. And people like, why are you paying them so much? Like, because it's like I, I'm taking this very seriously, and if it's like if it becomes casual, I don't, I don't, I don't vibe with that.
0: No man, fair enough. That's awesome. Well, hey man, we interesting conversation, man. I, I actually, I pretty much figured it was going to be, you know, <laughs> following you online and stuff. So uh, thank you for your time. I appreciate that, and we'll, you know, we'll include your retreat information. And what's up? Oh, sorry. It's Behold Retreats. What, what's or did you want to just say? the The web page name just for us.
1: Yeah, Behold retreatscom um, You know, you can. Uh, there's no book now button on our website. You got to speak to a real human being. So <laughs> we enjoy that process, and we hope that uh, other human beings do too. We're a little old school.
0: Yeah, man. No, that's awesome. It was a uh, it was a pleasure speaking with you. And keep doing what you're doing, man. Like I you know, at the end of the day, it's it's the pioneers going out and making, you know, these sod huts out in the Midwest that are the ones who are leading the charge on this. So good for you, man. I appreciate it.
1: Oh, thank you, Adam. This has been a, a great conversation. I really enjoyed it.
0: No, it was awesome, man. I'll, 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 we'll keep in touch. I'll talk to you sometime soon. You take care.
1: Awesome. Aloha.